Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. I'm going to get myself centered here. How's that look? Good? A little to the right. There's always that one, a little to the right. Well, it's good to be here. As uh, Don said, my, my mom attends here. She's in the back. And my brother is here today. He is 61 years old today. All right, so it's his birthday. And I'm allowed to tell him how old he is because he'll tell you, well, you're older than I am. So it's good to be here. Uh, Enjoy coming here. Uh, I don't know how many of you know me or remember me, but I grew up here. We moved here in uh, 1962. We started attending church in 1963 here. And so everything looked a little different back then, but we're, we're happy to be here. If you have your Bibles, take them and Open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at Hannah. And one of the reasons I enjoy coming here, and I'm allowed to do this, is this is my newest grandson. Look at that hair, all red. And so I got to, have, I got to see him yesterday. So my wife, Carol's a little jealous. She wasn't able to make the trip this time, but I did get to hold him yesterday. So that's always a nice blessing to come up here. First Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man in Ramatham, Zophan, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. The name of one of his wives was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Take a look up here. Uh, you can see uh, where he is from. Right here is Rama, right there. And Shiloh was about an 18-mile trip to the north. And that's where he went to worship. That's where the tabernacle was at that time. And so he went there, probably a day's journey to get there. This is what it looks like today. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Shiloh ancient Shiloh. And if you look here, there seems to be a platform on this side of the mountain. And archaeologists believe that that could be the possible site of where the tabernacle was. And so we got to go see there. And as you can see, it is surrounded by the hill country. And there you can see the platform a little bit better there. They've noticed in the corners that there were uh, chiseled out rocks where the stakes for the tabernacle could have went and they weren't uh, naturally made. They were right angles, so they were made by men. And so that's where they believed the tabernacle was. And so this is where our story today takes place in Shiloh. As we continue reading in verse 4, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, 
although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, we ask, Lord, that you just quiet our hearts. We have a lot of things going on in our minds, Lord, but we've come to church today to worship, to praise, and to honor you. And so, Lord, now as we look at Hannah and the grace that she showed to all those around her, we, Lord, just ask that you just bless our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin to look at Hannah, the first thing I want you to notice is that she is a very strong woman. Life had been unfair to her. It seems like every single day she was provoked and reminded of her failure to have a child. In ancient Israel, a Hebrew man's future was bound up in having a son to carry on his name. And the fact that Hannah was unable to bear a child was considered a curse from God. If you turn to Deuteronomy, I think I'll put it up here for you. There we go. There we go. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 13, it says this. And he, God, will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock, in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you, you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. You see, the children of Israel believed that children were a sign of God's blessing and if you did not have a child, well, they considered that you were cursed by God. Children were symbols of fulfillment. And because she had no children, she felt as if she had no self-worth. In verse 10, it says she was bitterness of soul or greatly distressed to the point where she wouldn't even eat. And she spent a lot of her time crying year after year. And to top it all off, her husband's other wife provoked her severely. The word provoked there means to thunder against her. And to really understand what that word means, if you turn over a page to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder, same word, against them. In other words, the other wife was brutal to Hannah. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's safe to maybe take a, a wild guess that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. It seems to indicate that in verse 5. It says that Elkanah loved Hannah very much and always provided double portion for her. However, because she could not have any children, Hannah may have even suggested that her husband marry a second woman to have children, much like Sarah did when she told Abraham to have her handmaid. And so it could be that that's what happened here. 
Now, it was common practice at that period of history for a husband whose first wife did not have a child to take on a second wife. Now, that was never sanctioned by God. And every time we read about it in the Bible, we read about heartache and pain, agony and judgment. And so even though it wasn't sanctioned by God, it was something that went on because it was important to have a child. And a man whose wife was infertile would often take a second wife to bear him children. And so what we have here now are two women. Hannah, deeply loved by her husband and yet was burdened by the fact that she could have no children. And Peninnah, who had children, but really wasn't loved by her husband. And so we have this tension in the house, and Peninnah's jealousy got the best of her, and she relentlessly tormented Hannah. But Hannah, on the other hand, she just, she just took it all in. She was gracious, and she suffered in silence. And so the first thing we need to know, because of all that, she could have been very bitter towards her husband, but she wasn't. She had a right relationship with him. You're saying, many of the wives are saying, how in the world could she do that? There's no way another woman's coming into my house. But she had a right relationship with her husband. She cultivated that relationship with him. Year after year, she traveled with him to Shiloh to worship at the tabernacle. As was prescribed by the law of God. All Israeli men were required to attend three annual feasts at the tabernacle Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and Sukkot. Now, she didn't have to go, only the men were required. And so we see that as we read this, she was in a very right relationship with her husband. She wanted to go and worship with him. It also tells us that her husband was a, a God-fearing man. He believed in God. Now, he wasn't a perfect man, but he did make a commitment to God, and his heart was towards God as he went for the three prescribed times to, to, to worship the Lord at the tabernacle. And so he was obedient. He responded to God's command to go and worship at the spot that God had chosen. And he did that three times a year, and she went with him. Now, most likely, the feast that we're talking about here is the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so whenever a Jewish head of the house went to make a sacrifice, he would offer some of it to God, as was prescribed. Some of it would be then portioned out to the priests and the Levites, as was prescribed. And then they could take a portion back at times and have a feast. And so he is there having a feast, and she is with him, and all of his family and friends would be there. And she would be reminded that she had no children. But notice that her husband gave her a double portion. And that's significant because a double portion meant that it would go to the honored guest of the feast. And so he honored her by giving her a double portion. She was the honored guest at the table, and that shows us especially how much he truly loved her. So in shared love, 
in the absence of children in spite of the fact that she felt terribly inferior to the other woman, they shared love together. And so she had a right relationship with her husband. In verse 5, it says, for he loved Hannah. And as we look at the word love in the Bible, it's always not simply just an emotion. It was an act of love. It was demonstrated by his goodness to her, by his kindness to her, by his graciousness to her. And in verse 9, it indicates that the feast is over. They had eaten. They had drunk, as is common at the feast. It's a festive holiday. Like I said, families would get together. They would all eat outside under the stars to remember when they were traveling in the wilderness and they lived in the temporary homes. But it was also a time of year where they stopped and remembered their dependence on God's provision when they lived in those booths, those temporary shelters. Now, if you don't get our magazine, Israel My Glory, and I am required to have a commercial every once in a while. If you don't get our magazine, Israel My Glory, I would like you to sign up for that, go online. Tom Simcox this month has an excellent article where he explains the Feast of Tabernacles. Now look in verse 8, if you would, 1 Samuel 1.8. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? See, he, he loved her. And she knew that he loved her. And all he could say to her in her pain and her suffering was, am I not good enough for you? You don't need those children. I, I love you. Isn't that good enough? And I'm sure she said, yes, I understand that. But her heart was still burdened to have a child. But he was sympathetic to her. He understood her hurt. And he tried just to reaffirm to her, look, am I good for you? Don't I really love you? Is that not enough? That's a sign of love. He understood her pain. He tried to console her. But we see that her grief was so deep, that her pain was so profound that nothing he said could comfort her soul. And so rather than turn on her husband out of jealousy because of the other wife, because of all the other children, rather than reject him and become bitter, we notice that she followed him to worship worship God. And she also obeyed him. She lovingly obeyed her husband, and she shared his love by being a very beautiful and submissive wife and worshiping with him those three times a year. She responded to his sympathy, but we see there's not even a hint of conflict between them over this. And so she was very gracious and how she handled this situation. It's the time after the celebration's over. The meal is done. They're all settled down. They're ready to turn in for the night. The Hannah then gets up and goes to the tabernacle and pleads with God for a son. As we read in verse 10, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. But now, 
Now it's time to see God at work. At this time, the people of Israel are are celebrating God's provision for the people who wandered in the barren wilderness for over 40 years. But here we have a barren woman coming to the Lord, pleading to God to provide her with a son. Now, we don't always know and understand God's working, but it seems that if Hannah would have gotten married as usual and had a child or two, as is common, Samuel may have never been born, and we would never have this wonderful story about an obscure young woman from a small village in the foothills of Israel who would be the mother of one of the greatest judges over Israel. We would never have known that story. But this is how God works. Now we know and understand that Hannah was not the first woman in the Bible to suffer, suffer from infertility. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, and even Rachel, the wife of Jacob. Yet we read here exactly how we should respond to a situation like this. As I said, in her pain, and despair. She didn't retaliate against the other woman, nor her husband. She took her pain and her despair and her bitterness of soul to the only one that could alleviate it. She took it to the Lord, her God. Hannah's first response was to go to God. She understood that God alone was the one who could open her womb. She understood that children were a gift of God. And so she totally surrendered her heart to God. She said, there is something only you can do. And so she prayed to God, following in the footsteps of Sarah and Abraham, who pleaded with God to give them a a child, and God did give them Isaac. Rebecca was barren, and Isaac prayed for her, and God gave her Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob's wife, Rachel, was barren, and they prayed, and God gave her Joseph and Benjamin. In the New Testament, we have Zacharias and Elizabeth pleading with God for a child, and God gave them John the Baptist. You see, children are a gift from God. They are not an accident. They're not something that should be thrown away on the whim. In in Psalm 139, 13, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest places of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. In other words, the psalmist sees God creating life in the womb. And that is not something to be tampered with. This is an act of God. And Hannah knew that, and she sought God, 
Her desire turned where all desires for God's best must turn. She then turned to prayer. And as she prayed, look at verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon my affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And as she prayed, she made a vow or a pledge to God. She says, I really pledge him to the Nazareth vow. Remember back in number six, the Nazareth vow means to be consecrated for the Lord. It was something that men would do. They would go to the Lord and they would tell the Lord, I'm giving myself to you. I vow not to drink strong drink. I vow not to cut my hair. I vow to totally devote myself to you and to you alone. I will stay away from all the feasts. I will not go to the festivals. I will not go to all the parties. I will concentrate, consecrate myself to you and to you alone. Now, normally when men did that, they did it for a set period of time. They might say, for the next two months or the next two years, I will do this for you, Lord. But here we see that he would be a Nazareth for life, much like Samson and John the Baptist. And so what she is saying to the Lord is this, I'll give him to you, and he'll have no concern for the things of the world, no concern for the pleasures of this society. I will raise him where he will belong to you. And this shows us the graciousness of Hannah's heart. She didn't want a child to compete with the other woman. She didn't want a child to show off to everybody, all of her friends and family. She wanted a child to give to God because she recognized that this child would be a token of God's blessing. And she just wanted the best in her life that God could give her. Now, one thing I have to add here is that a woman could never make a vow like this unless her husband was in 100% agreement. And we see that he was in agreement. And so that shows us the love that they had for each other. Look at verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she was drunk. This poor woman, even in the midst of her sincere petition to God, she is now being accused of being drunk. Look at verse 14. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. She had just come from the celebration, the feast, and Eli just assumed she was drunk. She's over there crying, muttering, nothing's coming out of her mouth. She's got to be drunk. But Hannah answered verse 15 and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, 
for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. What a woman of prayer. Hannah is a godly woman, a virtuous woman, a Proverbs 31 woman, a pure woman. We could look at Titus 2. And in Titus 2, verse 3, it says this. <coughs> Excuse me. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. And then verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. She didn't get drunk. She kept her senses. And then she poured out her soul to God. And in verse 17, she is finally rewarded for her perseverance. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate. And notice her face was no longer sad. She had put her trust in God, and God had now heard her prayer. This is a godly woman. This is the woman I choose to bring forth the child that shall be the greatest man, one of the greatest men who ever lived. His name will be Samuel. And in verse 19, that's exactly what happened. Then they rose early in the morning, as it said, probably a one-day journey. They worshiped before the Lord, and they returned and came to their house in Raymond. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her, so that in the process of time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now drop down to verse 24. Now we see where she dedicates the child to the Lord. Now when she had weaned him, about three years of age, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephod of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull, brought the child to Eli, and she said to him, O my Lord, as my soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So she worshiped the Lord there. She then gave that child to God. She kept her part of the promise. And she says, I lent him to the Lord. Now that word lent there has the meaning of ask. And Samuel has several meanings. And one of the meanings of the word Samuel means asked of God. So I think what the writer is here trying to do is try to give us a little play on words here. I asked of God, gave, God gave what I asked, 
And her response is to give the asked child back to the Lord. Now, even though she gave him the Lord, she never really gave him up. She always held a special place in her heart for him. Chapter 2, verse 18 tells us, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe, and she would bring it up to him year after year when she came with her husband to offer that yearly sacrifice. And in verse 20, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And so you see, that wasn't the end of the story, was it? Each year they came up, each year Eli blessed them, and each year, look verse 21, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. You see, you can't outgive God. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Look at verse 26 in chapter 2. <coughs> and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Samuel would grow up to serve as the last judge of the people before they switched over to kings. Samuel would become a great prophet. And as that prophet, the God gave him the, uh, the mission to anoint Saul and then to anoint David. He is used by God to establish a kingdom among the people of God, a kingdom which is ultimately anticipating the kingdom of heaven to come with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, did Hannah have any clue how God would use Samuel? No. Did she have any idea why God would have her to be barren for so long? Probably not. Did she understand why it was necessary for all the heartache that she experienced? Hannah quite easily could have become a very bitter person. She could have viewed life through the lens of resentment and anger. She could have been a constant whiner over all the injustices that were inflicted upon her, but she refused to fall into that trap. She allowed God to be God. No matter what we may be going through, we are to keep our eyes on the Lord. We are to trust God to work in our life because he may be using you as he used Hannah to further his kingdom. And so we see the grace that Hannah had throughout all of her life, and the Lord rewarded her with six children. Allow yourselves to be used by God. You might not know what you're going through now, but trust the Lord and trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at the life of Hannah and see all that she went through, Lord. But then we see your hand of blessing was upon her life. And her son Samuel grew up to be one of the greatest prophets Israel had ever known. He anointed kings, Lord. He led your people. And Lord, we look forward to the day where the king of kings comes and returns. 
But until that time, Lord, find us faithful here on earth. Let everything that we do, let everything that we say be gracious. And in that, Lord, we will give you all the honor and all the praise. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.